Ryan, how many days have we recorded together in a row at this point? <laughs> uh, I think this is now day three. Do you realize that this is the most consecutive Ryan Mancini exposure I've had in the entire, what, five years we've known each No, four years we've known each other. I think so, yeah. Three days in a row. I'm I'm getting a little bit of a of an overload of Ryan. Oh no. Which will immediately pretty soon be followed by a, a rather dearth of Ryan. Well, think of it this way. If if we do some more recording this week, you'll you'll still get a little more time uh with, with yours truly. So talking about the, the land that we love or <laughs> uh rather satirize. God, it's just such a bad series. Well, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll get to that announcement soon enough because I, I think we, we do owe it to our listeners uh, what exactly we've been talking about for the last 10 seconds about uh, why we're recording. Have so we much. not told them yet? We haven't made any announcements yet. No, we haven't. We haven't. Last two episodes, we've been traveling around L.A. Oh, yeah. Hope you're having a great day, listeners. Uh, this is episode 129 of Mars on Life, which means we're. Uh, Almost 30 cents too expensive to be sold at the 99 cent store. <laughs> uh, my name is Ryan Mancini, and of course I'm joined with me by my dear friend Matt Fernandez. Uh, Hello. Andrew's uh, still working on the whole moving process, and you know he's also got an upcoming conference that he'll be heading to, and Sebastian's off in Riverside, California, uh, protecting us from the alien forces that came in Independence Day. So... Is there uh, an actual we, river in Riverside? I've never been out there. I'm pretty sure there is. Well, because like if you go that. to Oceanside, there's an actual ocean. Yeah, but my parents Riverside, are driving to it as we speak. Yeah, my cousins live out there. It's where the uh, the naval base is, or one of the naval bases, um, Camp Pendleton, which I've been to. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I would assume that there. Was a river in Riverside, hence their, hence the name. But uh, I would guess, after the drought and severe weather we've had, and even after the weather we've had, uh, even stranger weather that we've had up until uh, just before we recorded, or have been recording, uh, grammar. Huh? Uh, I still don't think there's a river in Riverside. So uh, <laughs> sadly, but yes, uh, it's it's good to be back. I feel like. As weird as it sounds, even though you and I have been recording quite a deal uh, the last few days, it still feels like it's been ages since we've done a proper episode. Even though we technically did pre-record a proper episode, it's, I swear, everything's getting wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey in a way. So I'm, I feel like Robin Williams and Jumanji, you know, it's, what year is it? But uh, (laughs) my notes for episode 129 are blank other than... I'll just say blank interview, which we've already done. So how have you been? How I know I know I've asked you that already uh, off there for the last couple of days. But uh, for listeners, uh, you know, how, how have you been doing? This is the first weekend I've had off in quite some time because <laughs> uh, the, the, the show that I've been working on, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power is now finally um, it's fruit fly in my face. Um, it's finally out there in the world and people are watching and we're having to work like alternating weekends now. So this is my weekend off next week is not my weekend off and I'm hoping things stay quiet so I can actually go to the, uh, the weird Al concert that I have tickets for. Mm-hmm. 
if not, I'm not totally miffed about not seeing him. I will be miffed if I don't get to see uh, My Chemical Romance in October because the same day that the uh, the finale the finale weekend is the uh, the weekend that the concert's been rescheduled to, and I've had tickets since 2019. So I would mm. really like to go see this show. <laughs> no, honestly, those both sound really fun, especially Weird Al. Speaking as a as a Weird Al fan, something that I I don't think I've ever brought up on the show before. No, hey, that that in particular, I do hope you get to get to go see, and especially with the movie coming out, which yeah, I don't know what what did you think of the trailer? I haven't seen it. it. Oh, okay. I won't give anything away other than I'll put it this way: when I saw the trailer at first, I was like, "Wow, did this really all happen to Weird Weird Al?" And then I realized that it's a biopic, but it's in the spirit of a Weird Al song, meaning there's parody and there's exaggeration with what you see retelling the life of Weird Al Yankovic. So it's it's very much how he would want to tell his story without without turning it into a, a soap opera or without turning it into something that would not be entertaining. It's so. like the Joker line where it's like, if I'm <laughs> going to have a past, I want it to be multiple choice. Or it's right. like Freddie Mercury. It's like, I don't care what you do with me. Just don't make me boring. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I still need to figure out how exactly I'm going to see it. I know it's on Ro- It's going to be on Roku, which I think is free. Who the hell has Roku? We did at one point. Fun fact. Uh, <laughs> and, and for the longest time, I thought we were the only people who had it. And I'm pretty sure we were. I mean, hey, you know what? If it if it brings people to see it. I mean, still cool. more successful than Quibi. Yeah. Or uh, whatever, whatever the. Uh, sort of video social media platform that Zack Snyder uses. Uh, what was it called? Uh, otherwise, yeah, no, that's no, that's all good to hear. Trying to get some time off for anything, uh, especially with the, the crazy schedule you've had. That's it's a plus when you can get some time to just breathe and, you know, have have tea or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I did have tea uh, this morning. Like, honestly, I feel like we need to record the next episode of Diet Nimby at the Tea Garden just because they mentioned it in the show. No, I, I've been thinking we need to try and do that this upcoming week of, of trying to go to the, the tea room because I'm I, I'll put it this way, listeners. I, I do have some big news coming up that I'm going to divulge in the very near future. Uh, it, it will definitely change. uh it will definitely change the dynamics of this podcast, but uh, I will say ahead of time that I do plan on seeing a bunch of folks this week. You obviously included, uh, hopefully Sebastian as well, depending on his schedule, and you know maybe even other friends of the show. Like, is the timetable really this short? Pretty short. So it's I'll put it this way: the last week of September might be one of the busiest weeks I've had. For a good while. Uh, I, I couldn't say when was the last time I had a crazy busy week. Um, and next week's going to be busy as well for me. So uh, huh. I. Okay. Okay. You know, for all I know, there's a possibility that you guys might have to do some recording uh, sans me, which would be a first for the show. But uh, hey, you know what? Seb's done it. If I got to do it, it's not like it's not like podcasts don't do that. You know, I don't. I don't yeah. think Neil deGrasse Tyson's been on every episode of Star Talk, so you know it's. I don't like uh, him. I I fell out of favor 
with with Tyson too. Speaking as somebody who's a big Carl Sagan fan and a big, you know, Cosmos is one of my favorite books. I love the TV show. I was actually, it's funny, I was talking with Andrew about it uh, very recently because, uh, well, I'll explain why I was talking about it with Andrew. Uh, it kind of relates to my big news that I won't disclose yet on this episode, but I, I will get to it very quickly. Sagan was still pretty occupied and pretty busy with being a, a good humanitarian. Um, and still having a humble nature to him. With Tyson, I think Twitter is the big asterisk for me. I don't know about you. Um, it's just, I, I just find it to be almost this, like, it, it's it's curmudgeon in a way that, you know, one could say it's like Richard Feynman, uh, the great uh, scientist. Uh, I believe he was a physicist. I mean, I need to double check that. Um, but it just doesn't come off the same kind of way as it does with Feynman or Sagan when it comes to Tyson. Also, there's the uh, the sexual harassment stuff about him. I think in general, he 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 started out as this like, oh, he's this cool like black dude who makes astrophysics like accessible to everyone. And I I tried reading astrophysics for people in a hurry, still couldn't comprehend. Wish I was smart enough to, mm-hmm. but um. I don't know, there's just something about him that's just now become so pretentious, I think. And that does not resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And and hell, you know, we we actually, now I'm thinking about it, we did talk about that in last week's show uh, with our musings at the Griffith Observatory. Um, And I I did fact check myself. uh, Richard Feynman was a physicist. and, And honestly, a very fascinating figure that i frankly wish more people would look into him than tyson and i did read one of tyson's books um i think it was like death by black hole and other cosmic queries or something to that effect and it was it was actually a good read there there is there is an ego and pretentiousness there that it's it's kind of become more sedentary and more typical of what he typically talks about and again, it's typically on Twitter or or in interviews that he does where it, it's a little bit like, I don't know, it, it just sort of becomes like, oh, well, this is the science guy that we always rely on, which in the age of Carl Sagan, you could have that because there really weren't many popularizers of science at that point. In, yeah, science was like, yeah, it wasn't accessible to the public. It was it was that that mystical, wonderful field that you had to aspire to. You know, for years and years, Cosmos reigned supreme, and there was really nothing else besides uh, Sagan's later books, like his novel Contact, um, the Cosmos sequel that I think the current iteration of Cosmos sort of forgot, Pale Blue Dot, which is also a really beautiful book, The Demon Haunted World, which is basically Sagan's attempt at breaking down superstition and occultism and religion and talking about them in, in ways that adults should seriously consider. And then his memoir that he wrote just as he passed away. So uh, billions and billions, you know, again, cosmos reigns supreme. And then all of a sudden here comes this book from England by Stephen Hawking, a brief history of time, which becomes the new cosmos. And, it's really been with the arrival of the of the early 2000s that we got a flood of popularizers of science from 
Neil deGrasse Tyson to Micho Kaku, uh, Richard Dawkins, Edward O. Wilson, although Wilson had been working for decades and decades. So he, he was he was already there. Um, the rest of these gentlemen, though, have kind of sprung up. How did you forget the big one? Wait, who, who else am I forget? Well, Bill I mean, Nye. Bob. Yeah, well, I was going to get to Bill Nye. Yeah, because <laughs> Bill Nye, the thing with Bill Nye is that when he arrived, it was it was like, OK, with Sagan, he could appeal to everybody. With Bill Nye, it was very much for kids. And it was at a time where I think science entertainment was at its peak with the likes of Bill Nye, the science guy, the magic school bus. I guess Captain Planet you could throw in there. Oh my Would I God. be wrong? Or Well, Captain know, Planet think? was kind of like... <sighs> He's not a real person, though. Well, neither is Miss Frizzle. Okay, fine. But, I mean, Captain Planet was very specific in, like... And also, I guess you could talk about Dexter's Lab and Jimmy Neutron there, too. But, like, Captain Planet was very much hyper-specific. Save the planet! Kind yeah. of a thing. So I don't really count Captain Planet there because that's that's I think too singular for me. Okay, that's fair. I mean that that's that's totally. And fair. I don't think did Captain Planet ever have the same reach as the other cartoons that kind of had some sort of of message or agenda or like underlying attempt to kind of get kids interested in in this kind of advocacy or thinking or work. I can't say. Uh, I mean, Magic School Bus had more media around it between. Yeah, because it started as a book. Yeah, you had the book series by the late, great Joanna Cole, who, you know, we, we talked about her passing uh, right after it happened. It was actually it was kind of an emotional moment for me just because she Magic School Bus was a huge left a huge impact on me as a kid. Um, and it was more than just the books and the show. It was the computer games were insanely fun um and educational so i if in my, i mean I'm, I'm a little biased but in my mind i don't think captain planet had the same kind of reach and then with bill nye i mean let's face it i mean it was it, it made it all real because it was it wasn't animated and and then obviously like after that with the with the 2000s you got shows like mythbusters which made it a little bit more fun Mythbusters brought the explosions into science, so that too. Oh yeah, and uh, plus, always like the, the "Don't try this at home" just instantly, always made it much more appealing. There's also nothing like two guys that act like, you know, such polar opposites to each other, telling you "Don't try this at home," and yet you're you're sitting there like, should I trust these guys to to do what they're about to do? And then they do it, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. With your, and again, with the early 2000s, you know, you had various, you know, like how the universe works. I think I mentioned to you at the Griffith, the, the Brian Cox, not the actor, but the astrophysicist who, in a lot of ways, he's the UK equivalent of Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's younger. He's actually got a, a, a background in pop music. And the guy is like eternally young. Like, I want to say he's in his mid to late 50s right now. And he still looks like he could be our age. It's insane. And and he's had kind of a following where it's like, oh, he's cute. And, you know, he's got his mop top hair. And God, I hate mop tops. He's He's got that like that northern English voice of, you know, oh, the universe is so, so wonderful, you know. And uh, it's and again, his shows, 
I mentioned it to you, you know, wonders of the solar system and wonders of the universe are so beautiful and awe-inspiring in a way. And and honestly, I think they capture they capture the Sagan the Saganisms, and I don't mean the Saganisms as in the, you know, sounding like Kermit the Frog and reading cue cards and those sorts of things. Like he he captures the the romance of science to borrow a subtitle actually of one of Sagan's earlier books, Broca's Brain. He captures that the romance of science that I that really that's what drew me to him. And then you got like Brian Greene who taps into like string theory and stuff like that. So and 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 all these guys know each other. That's the funny thing. All these guys overlap and have met with each other and been on shows together. And some of it's been wild. Some of it's been a little bit like kind of awkward because then you get the likes of Lawrence Krauss, who also had allegations of harassment towards him. Uh, but he's also been in weird company with the whole new atheist movement, um, like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, you know, and, then, and, there, and the overlap extends even further from there, which sadly reaches a point where you get into Jeffrey Epstein territory, meaning some of these gentlemen have flown on Epstein's plane. Obviously not the likes of Tyson or Brian Cox or Brian Green. They have, to the best of my knowledge, they have not. They have no relationship and never have with Mr. Epstein. But um, anyway, yeah, with Tyson, I, I don't know. It's There's also the, the aspect that he is everywhere, from The Simpsons to Batman versus Superman. You're just kind of like, okay, we get we're going for realism here, but why do you why do we need Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about Superman? I love why? the memes where it's like he he's like absolutely frothing at the mouth to like ruin something for somebody. Well, you've also got the whole Pluto controversy, which he's connected to. And it's funny because I, I was very big into a lot of that, you know, science popularizing science literature back in the day. When I mean back in the day, I mean like 10 years ago. And there's a lot of it that I've kind of just dropped because if I'm being honest, how much of the same stuff can you keep writing about? And if it's been written better elsewhere, i.e. by Carl Sagan, why why uh, deviate? And that's where you got to get into characters who make it fun or make it, again, full of character, like a Richard Feynman, who, I mean, I'm, I'm looking... I'm looking at two of his books now that are hilarious. There is two memoirs um, called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, with an exclamation point. And uh, the other one I'm, I'm going to have to, like, really zero in on. Uh, what do you care what other people think? And, and the funny thing with that one is that that actually talks about Feynman's involvement with, uh, I believe it was the Challenger disaster. And basically how he had to break down the science behind why it happened. So, uh -huh. um, which is fascinating. And, and I, I believe they made, they actually might've been on the science channel. They made a movie all about that part of the book. So, um, no, Feynman's, Feynman's fascinating. I mean, hell, he's the guy who's got the van that has a bunch of equations written on the outside of it that Caltech owns now. And I think they even used it for like an episode of the Big Bang Theory. The way I see it, people, listeners, go back to the source, go back to Sagan, go back to Cosmos. Don't let the mop top and the turtlenecks dismay you. Sagan, Sagan was a, a master and a, and a beautiful human being. You know who I think the weirdest and most unexpected like mm -hmm. player to enter this, this arena is? Mm -hmm. Fucking Seth MacFarlane. 
Yeah, yeah. Like he's not really a scientist. He's just the one who's like, who helped make that that Cosmos series come to fruition. Just because he was such a huge fan of Carl Sagan back in the day. And like, from what I've from what I've experienced of Seth MacFarlane, he seems like a very nice man. Other people who've worked with him say he can be a bit of a terror, especially with the Orville, which is like his baby. Um, yeah. But I, I guess it just depends on what context you are interacting with with Seth MacFarlane. When when it was announced that he was doing Cosmos, everyone's like, which mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane? You mean <laughs> Family Guy man? American Dad? That guy? Yeah, of course, Brian. <laughs> that was my victory day. It's that nexus, and I, I hate to have to keep going back to this, but it's it's relevant. It's It's that nexus of the... I don't know if I'd go so far as to say Seth MacFarlane is a new atheist or or what, but it's that nexus of science education and bringing about science in a way to demure people away from the sacred cowness of religion. And again, to be fair, there, there's good work to be done in that field. Sagan did it. And for a while when, when Richard Dawkins was, fairly well respected he was doing that that's what i sort of took it as was the the, the brian griffinness of seth mcfarlane sort of tapped into why cosmos came back which again to be fair like if he's got the clout and the money and the pull at fox to do it damn well do it and i actually enjoyed that second season um and when i say the second season i mean the first season with um neil degrasse tyson i actually enjoyed that uh, and the animation was actually was pretty good too. I gotta say, I look back on it and I, I just actually wonder: has it stuck with people? Like we're talking about it, but that, you know, we're also we're deviating from Carl Sagan, much like that show was. So, is, is it guilty by association, or is it something that actually stands on its own? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I the show hasn't really withstood a lot. Like it, it's. And I mean the Tyson show, not the Sagan. The Sagan series yeah. is like eternal and memorable, but with the Tyson show, I don't like, think the new one had it? like any real staying power. Yeah, like it was notable because it was being remade, mm-hmm. but aside from that, like it didn't really get a whole lot of fanfare. I thought it did though. Like I, it was kind of an event. Like there was there was definitely momentum around it um, between the effects and the music and. Even the star power they got to do voices for the show, but I think if anything, it's it, it's. I guess my my follow up to that would be: Do you think it it just kind of got buried under every other piece of content that we've sort of been drowned in over the past uh, ten or so years? Maybe, and also all the uh, the accusations against yeah, Tyson. which I which put a shadow over the sec uh, the second series that came after the first one with tyson um which in my opinion that series wasn't that second season wasn't so great why 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 is this necessary you know it's again i i think listener like i said listeners go back to go back to where it all started and hell you know what i'd even throw in um because sagan's family has been heavily involved with both of the the revival seasons i would definitely go back to uh Sasha Sagan, Carl Sagan's daughter, she had a, a beautiful book that came out in 2019 called um, 
for small creatures such as we. And it talks a little bit about human rituals and months of the year and living a, living a secular life. I mean, we, we talked about it very briefly, and your reaction was fantastic, but um, mm. Mufasa and all the things that Disney does that Disney does. Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I saw I saw a little bit of the D23 stuff, and I, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I think I've now reached the point in my life where I just, stuff that comes out of Disney, like, some of it will, will interest me from the standpoint of creativity as in effects and talent, but then there's a lot of it that I'm just like, I, I just snooze and I just move on. Um, yeah. Like I'm not a fan of Disney, honestly. Yeah. I will like some of the movies that come out. Like I will like some of their properties. Um, like Turning Red just came out fairly recently, and I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that Disney is is a lot of people's childhood. Um, yeah. Disney adults, quite frankly, weird me out. But that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's like we're. I was telling we were talking Ryan. It's like going to Disney now as an adult for me. Like I haven't been in in a while, and while I would enjoy going, I don't feel like it would be all that great for me and feel like very ho-hum just because the rides aren't particularly thrilling um like there's the atmosphere of like energy and magic around Disneyland I won't deny that but like just as an experience I don't think it would capture the same for me as an adult as it was a child then again I haven't been to the new Star Wars land I haven't been to Marvel land but I knowing how Disney is just supposed to be very family friendly it's not supposed to be thrilling it's supposed to be like magical and fun for everybody. I'm not sure how I would respond to those areas of the park. Yeah. Like I'd love to see the like the 30 minute Star Wars ride that they have. But like how thrilling is it going to be, honestly? My big thing with Disneyland as a kid versus Disneyland now is simply that when you went to Disneyland back in the day, there was a sense that everything was special because everything felt so rare, if that makes sense. Meaning, yeah. you know, when you saw Buzz and Woody, that's because, oh, there's only been two Toy Story movies. And these are the, this is how many times I'm going to see these characters that I, I loved as a kid. Same goes with Star Wars and Star Tours. Oh, this is the the uh, a hodgepodge, not sequel, but, you know, in between of some of the other Star Wars films made to look like the other Star Wars films. And when I mean the other, I mean the original trilogy, because everything it, this was made in the 80s. Mm. Um, and even when Phantom Menace came out, I, I still was like, yeah, this, this could still work. This is still this still really feels like Star Wars, um, the Star Tours ride. and. Nothing besides the Disney characters like your typical Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, etc. The franchise aspect really wasn't 
there. And I think now where I do feel very over inundated by the likes of Marvel and Star Wars and right. remaking of a lot of original properties, it's like, OK, the specialness of Disneyland, which admittedly, I, I'm, I'm like you. I haven't I haven't seen Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge and I likely will probably not go to the Marvel land, which I think is it. Isn't that a California adventure? Yeah, I think so. I've never been yeah. to California Adventure either. It's it's great. Um, granted, I was there so many. I don't even remember what year it was, but it was so long ago. And and once, um, I, I remember going to Soren when I was at Disney World, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. And the Tower of Terror again, hell of a lot of fun. When everything, both on TV and online, is these franchises going to the ride feels less special because it's like, well, I'm in their world. But now I've got a bunch of fans around me wondering, well, how is this canonical with the show or the movies? And I'm just <laughs> like, man, get over it. It's a ride. Like, like even the new Star Tours does that, which admittedly, when I was younger, it kind of annoyed me where I'm like, OK, wait a minute. So we're flying on crate. And, and mind you, I haven't been there since they've added the sequel trilogy stuff, but we're flying on crate during the events of The Last Jedi. But now we're going into hyperspace and we're going to Kashyyyk during the Clone Wars. There's like a 50 year gap. What the hell? I mean, wibbly it, it, wobbly it, timey wimey. Exactly. It's stuff like that that I, I just I don't know. It kind of tires me. And that's when I just I'm like, you know what? Forget about Star Tours. I'm going to go to Space Mountain and uh, Splash, well, Splash Mountain's not going to be there probably the next time I go back to Disneyland, which, frankly, I don't mind. You know, I don't mind them taking out the old and, and putting in uh, Princess and the Frog. If anything, I, I, I understand Walt Disney's whole perspective on, oh, well, Disneyland will never be finished. But when so much has changed since the late 50s, early 60s, when the park opened, I think you do push away some of those people that remember it for what it was. And obviously I'm not, I make it sound like I'm, you know, it was better in the old days, but in all honesty, like, I don't know. It just, I, I get that it's making them more money now, but for goodness sake, like there was something so timeless about, you know, the fact that so much stuff from the eighties lasted as long as it did into even the late two thousands. You know, the fact that all the 90 almost all of what we had in the 90s and early 2000s was not for the most part, because obviously you had some rides that were newer um, or added later. But, I, you know, and, and even the changes to Pirates of the Caribbean, like I, I, I'm i OK with it at the same time. Like. There's still something creepy with that old ride that I do miss, whereas with uh -huh. the new ride, it just it, I, it's that same swashbuckling adventureness that you get with the movies. You know, what, what we were talking about off air is what if Disney had made a cinematic universe about the rides? Which I think would have been pretty cool at one point in time. But again, I think because you had some misses with the likes of the Haunted Mansion and Tomorrowland, it's not going to happen. And obviously you'd have to reboot the likes of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. They're going to reboot uh, Haunted Mansion. Hell. I don't know how you do it, but if you could drag Star Tours into there with a Star Tours ride or excuse me, Star Tours movie. I mean, yeah, you're kind of 
crossing the streams, Egon, but I don't know. I think for me, my, my, I've, I've talked about this thing ad nauseum before and a lot of other stuff with Disney for me. It's, it's like, it's, I think it's mainly evident in Marvel and it's starting now to cross into Star Wars, as, as I mentioned with Kenobi before, but there's no stakes to anything that Disney does anymore because Disney's such a whore for money. Like, when Infinity War happened, it's like this would have been so much more impactful that you just killed off all these folks, but we know they're coming back because you've already announced the next Spider-Man movies, and we know you're not going to kill off these characters all completely unless their contracts are because money. Um, mm mm-hmm. And with the prequels, you're clearly doing it for money. There's no stakes in this story. We know this character lives. We know what happens with these characters. You introduce a new character. They're not currently canonical in Star Wars. Okay, they're going to be dead by the time, like, any of the actual movies happen. So they're probably going to die within this series and show. So why do we care? I'm enjoying some of the Marvel shows. Like, I'm really liking She-Hulk, except the uh, the CGI is really shitty still. Um, Mm. I think it's fun. Like, Miss Marvel, I thought, was a ton of fun. But that's only because they're like you're introducing the characters now that they're putting the effort into it. Like a couple movies down the road, it's not going to matter. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to matter. You're doing the like with D23, you're doing a Mufasa prequel. I wonder what if he's going to survive to the end of the movie. I wonder yeah. what's going to happen with his relationship with his brother. Do we care? Is he is like, he going to end up with Lady Lion? Are they going to have kids? <gasps> We may never know. And it's like, James Earl Jones isn't even part of it, so what even is the point? Well, if he's younger, I, I get it, but at the same time, you're, you're right. Like, You brought you James Earl Jones back for, for the, the reboot of Lion King, which was terrible because like, the photorealism of that movie was like, it was like I was watching a nature documentary, but also like the fact that there was no emotion behind those those uncanny valley faces yeah was just what is the point of watching this now like i'm not seeing a simba emote when mufasa dies i'm not seeing the terror in mufasa's face when he plunges into the ravine with the wildebeest i'm not seeing the deviousness behind scars plotting and scheming it's it's so plastic and and ridiculous and like going there, there's going to be the Cassian and or movie not movie but TV show like he was a cool character in Rogue One but we know what happens to him oh is Cassian and or going to survive to the end of the show I wonder Ooh, is he going to end up joining the resistance I wonder well and and the fact that you have because I, I, I followed part of the reason why I followed any D23 stuff is because there, there are film critics that I do follow online on Twitter, on YouTube, that cover this. And um, one of them I've mentioned several times before talking about Obi-Wan, uh, Christian Harloff from Schmoes No, who I, I, I love the guy. I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. He's one of my favorite critics, one of my favorite commentators, pundits. The guy makes me laugh like an idiot. Um, the fart jokes on his show, you know what? Sometimes you need fart jokes. Um, <laughs> as I'm thinking of some of them. Um, and, and like some of the reviews that he's done for stuff like the Jurassic Park movies and the Batman movies. Oh, they're chef's kiss. I, I rewatched so many of them. They're they're great. Um, he went to D23. And, you know, he was able to film some of it. You know, he filmed uh, Harrison Ford giving. A surprisingly emotional speech about Indiana Jones five, which, frankly, I'm still sort of surprised that 
it's a year away and we still don't have a subtitle. Uh, okay, Indiana Jones 5. All right, fine. Uh, so I'm kind like of actually interested in that one because they're ending it now. Like, it's going to, like, Harrison Ford has said, this is it for me. I'm done. So there's a yeah. chance they might kill him off. But also there's a chance that they might just, like, they're ending it now so we don't have to worry about, like, future 90-something-year-old Indiana Jones. But also we have to worry about prequel Indiana Jones. Well, I'll put it this way. If they did a series, I'd be okay with it. If they did prequel movies, I would feel less enthralled. Because here's the thing. They've done a prequel Indiana Jones series, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah. And it was great. I haven't seen all of it, but from what I have seen, and even I, I vividly remember as a kid on the VHS copies of the Indiana Jones trilogy, they had ads for the, the series, long ads, like five minute long commercials. And they were great. Like, like there's a reference in um, the movie we don't talk about, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where Indy talks about riding with Pancho Villa that he tells to Shia LaBeouf. That wasn't just something they wrote in the script just to be like, oh, Indy's wise and he's been around. Uh, no, that was in the, the TV show. Um, hell, they even had an episode where they got Harrison Ford to come back and play Indy. Um, and I think it was while he was filming The Fugitive. And it was awesome, you know, because it's like, oh, we got Indiana Jones. We got the Indiana Jones back one last time. Little did we know yeah. 2008 was going to bring more than just a, a great recession. <laughs> um, I'd be fine if they did a series, but I, I don't want movies or or or, or more prequels. We have an Indiana Jones prequel. It's called Temple of Doom. Yeah. That's all we needed, you know. Um, and I will admit, I'm I'm a little bit miffed at Spielberg not being involved in this one. And I understand Lucas was way too involved with the fourth film. Again, I don't respect George Lucas. I know, I know. I, I my my respect for him has changed where I'm a little more neutral towards him. Um mainly because of the fact that he gave Star Wars away to Disney, which I, I still, I've, I've come around to thinking that wasn't a great idea, in my opinion. Um, but, and realistically, I mean, he gave all of Lucasfilm, which means Indiana Jones, Willow, um, everything Lucasfilm touched. Red Tails. I, I just, I don't know, with a new indie film, I'm, I, I think I mentioned it once before um, about James Bond, because I'm, I don't know how I feel about Phoebe Waller-Bridge as a, for the lack of a better term, content creator. I don't know if she's doing any of the writing for this film. Remind me, you haven't seen the new James Bond movie, have you? I have. Oh, okay, okay. So, listeners, spoilers for a film that we've already more or less spoiled on this podcast. But we made it clear at that time that it was spoilers because spoilers was in the title of the episode. So, if you haven't watched No Time to Die, which... Personally, I'd recommend, even though it's a weird James Bond movie, um, it's still fun, I think. I'm worried that with her involvement in this, it's like, oh, she's the she's the person who goes to each franchise and kills the main character. And I don't want that to be the stereotype for her. I, I Genuinely, I want her to succeed in what she does. I, I just, I don't know, I, everything I've seen so far for this movie, I'm just very confused by. And I know that I think there's going to be like time travel possibly involved, which I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I just 
personally, I just I don't want to see Indy die. Like, there's a reason why he rode off into the sunset. I'm I'm really really torn just because I I love Indiana Jones and I I'd hate there there's something there's something about this movie that it really feels like oh we're at a Paul McCartney concert and he's playing a bunch of Beatles songs and it's like yeah but the other Beatles aren't there going back to what I was mentioning with Harloff um Christian Harloff uh he said he was pretty bummed by the turnout not turnout but the the showing for Star Wars and I try to not let it ever be confirmation bias whenever I hear Star Wars news but it just seems like there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of those moving parts slip away and the coherence of the franchise just it's everywhere it's all over the place so long story short I don't like Disney <laughs> hey Believe me, you're 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 in good company because I, I know Sebastian would be. We we've talked about it at tremendous length. Our uh, our lack of interest in the mouse, and I mentioned it actually once before. There's a, actually an interesting book that I have yet to read that actually talks about Disney's involvement with issuing pro-American comics to Latin American countries, and basically trying to make these comics be like, you're, this is why your country's government is bad and why America is so great. Featuring Donald Duck, you know. <laughs> and and one of those countries was Chile, which I, I should actually mention, you know, we're, we're recording this on um, September 11th. Uh, of course, there's the September 11th attacks here that took place 21 years ago. There's also, of course, the attack in Chile in, I believe it was 1973, of the coup that took over the government in Chile, it installed a dictatorship, and the dictatorship was supported by the Nixon administration. Um, so Chile's gone through a lot of changes in recent years. They recently, unfortunately, um, rejected a very forward-thinking constitution um, because there's a referendum on their constitution, so they don't have the constitution that they had during the dictatorship, which was still in place after the dictatorship fell. Uh, it's a weird, weird time for that country and really for every country because everybody's mourning the loss of uh, Queen, Queen Liz. Not to, not to totally leave the, the Disney subject, but uh, I figured, I guess it's something we can talk that's about. That's another Magic Kingdom that's, uh, uh, that's stealing too many properties and, and just kind of claiming them as their own. There's Looking the at you, British Museum. I don't know. What do you, what do you make of all the news with queen's passing i honestly don't care like it's it's interesting it's going to change the dynamics of, of world politics just probably a little bit also the fact that now we're not going to have a uh, a queen for quite a little bit it's just going to be kings from now on i i never really gave a shit about the royals i don't understand right. why people give a shit about the royals they're just enforcing the uh I'm better than you because I was born to this family. <laughs> kind of a thing. And like in, in 10th grade, I remember we did a uh, an essay where we had to decide whether or not the royal family was a good thing that should be kept or if it should be abolished. And I was clearly on the side of like, no, why are you better than me just because you came out of that particular vagina? Mm -hmm. Don't understand it. Don't get it. Uh, a lot of quoting of Common Sense by Thomas Paine. 
<laughs> so good, good. <laughs> it's just I don't. On one hand, it's like it's your fucking country. Do what you want with it. I'm not gonna nimby you. Um, <laughs> reference to something that we're doing. I'm like, but it's like I'm not gonna tell you how to honestly live your country. But if it was, if I'm making the argument for argument's sake, it's like there's no point in in having them. What do they do? I mean, I guess they like bring in some tourism, but they kind of they just mooch off the taxpayers. What do they actually do? They're symbolic figureheads. But don't do anything. On the point of symbolism, that's what's typically been a lot of the arguments against the deification, even while she was alive, of um, Princess Diana. Because with all of her work with, you know, stopping landmines being in use in various countries around the world, you had activists and humanitarians that were doing the work on the ground that weren't getting any of the same level of acknowledgement or awards that Diana was. And so, and this was arguably part of an image that she was trying to craft for herself after the divorce with Charles and his fingers. Yeah, Google that. Uh, this man's hands are a sight to see. I, I don't get it. Uh, um, Hot dogs. Does he have an allergy? Is he using the wrong sort of hand sanitizer? I, I don't know. I'm very worried about this man's hands, um, as weird as that just sounded. <laughs> but um, a lot of these Anglo-American ironies, my folks and I have had a lot to talk about with all of this because we always have animated discussions about the royals and people in this country that care far too much. And, and this isn't meant to sound demeaning in any way to folks who do, because I, I do think there is a need for analysis of monarchy's place in the world, but the British monarchy's place in the world, especially long after, you know, independence and letting go of a lot of the, the countries that it basically took and presided over and, you know, led to, led some of these countries to have some of the most severe climate destabilization that these countries never would have had otherwise um you want to know more about that read late victorian holocausts um terrific terrifying book but it just seems to me like there's the brouhaha and the the level of identification with the queen i think it's something that is reminiscent of something I've noticed in American politics here, where people who voted for, say, Donald Trump, try to identify with him when it comes to grievance and that feeling of persecution. Maybe this is just an element of being the quote-unquote subject to a sovereign, but it just seems bizarre to me the number of people that try to identify with Elizabeth as if she was a member of their family or a friend which was done when Diana passed away. You had a lot of people that practically acted as though Diana was their sister or cousin or lover or friend or mother or parent or whatever. At the same time, too, the people that try and make it all about themselves, she was 96 years old. She lived a long life. My sister is convinced that she's not actually dead and that she's just like hiding and they put her in a bunker and they've used their advanced medicine to keep her alive 
Oh my god. <laughs> she'll rise again after Charles Charles will kick the bucket. The fallen and she'll, shall rise again. She'll come back. Yeah. No, William, it's not your turn. Um <laughs> I think the obsessive nature of it in our country I'll put it this way. It's 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 weird when you have people who deify our founders, but also have an overzealous admiration for the royal family. It's it is it just me or is it kind of contradictory? Those that think, oh, I, I live the revolutionary spirit, but oh the queen, what a what a what a lovely human she was. Like, eh, I, I don't I, I I don't think the founders would be saying as such. You know, <laughs> even the ones that aren't we aren't too keen about, I still don't think they'd be like, you know, well, well, the queen was I don't know why I'm making George Washington sound like Reagan, but you know, like oh well the queen was a was a wonderful old lady. Like, you know, I I mean maybe John Adams. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give him the shadow of the doubt that maybe John Adams would be a little a little nice because I know he was a little too nice to the royal uh to the British court even even after, you know, supporting independence and and le- partially leading that charge with his cousin, but um the way I see it, we move on. Um, Charles is king. Okay, it's it's a different it's a different ball game now, and we move on from there. So I I just again I look at it like it's what happens. It was going to happen for all the folks that are wondering. Oh well, what you know what what will Charles's legacy be? He already has a legacy. Hot dog fingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's that's going to be a part of it at least for the foreseeable future. I, believe me, I'll be bringing that up as many times as possible whenever he pops up in the news. Him and and his... Jeez, it's like they're like gloves. It's like meat gloves. It's really, it's really unsettling. He's already been a figure for 73 years. And, and a part of that legacy is a bit damning, I have to admit. Between what happened with Diana, some of his philandering... And yes, he is very big on his climate activism, but he uses that private jet like it's nobody's business. I, I find it that whatever his legacy will be, I don't know what he could do in the next 20 years that would outdo the last 70. Moving on from the royals and the developments going on across the pond, uh, I, I will mention very quickly, because I did hint at it earlier, I was out of town for a little while. I was off in the wilds of Massachusetts and I got to see our buddy, Andrew Martinez, El Jefe. And uh, it was, that's a sundial, an inside sundial joke, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, it was great to go out there and see him. I got to meet up with him and his girlfriend, Rachel. Boston was beautiful. But the rain in the central part of the state where I was visiting predominantly for reasons that will be explained in the near future, I I was not prepared for that weather. And from what I could tell back home, uh, nobody was prepared for the weather that was unrelenting and ongoing. And then it got even weirder. Um, I don't know if you want to start this off or, or you want me to in terms of our, our bizarre weather here in California. Yay. It wasn't that weird. It was weird very briefly. And then it's like semi-weird now but also just like eh whatever but like what was it last sunday uh it was 111 i believe it was last sunday it was 111 i don't know 
where this came from. I didn't check the weather because I never check the weather. Mm-hmm. But out of out of the blue, as I'm driving home from Newhall to, I think it was to record here. I don't remember where when and where I was coming from or what happened. But I was driving home and I look at the clouds and it's like, huh, clouds. We might get rain tomorrow. And then as I'm driving, I get hit with a couple of drops. It's like, ah, we might get hit by rain today. And I was expecting just like a light rain or a light drizzle. But no, it was like fat, heavy, hard, stinking rain. And then the wind picked up and it looks like something out of a tsunami. And as I'm driving, my car is kind of rocking a little bit. It's like, oh, this is this is great. And then the um, like uh, you see some like news footage where it's like, furniture is being blown around and knocked around and i got a message from one of my coworkers, like oh my god is this actually happening in santa clarita and it's like yeah it, it's kind of going on but then it goes away in about an hour yeah and it's like oh well it's over and done that was um that was very quick and then it was kind of rainy yesterday on a friday it was kind of rainy yesterday semi-rainy not even not really even i didn't it didn't actually i think rain at all it's just humid and cloudy and and semi warm, semi hot. It's like 80s, 70s. It's not as hot as it was last week, but like California weather doesn't know what it wants to be right now. But it's okay. You can you can decide that after you you gra- you graduate with your degree, California. Take that internship. See if you actually like it. <laughs> I have to ask, and and don't take offense, but did uh, members of your family still think the weather was great? My mom is like, good. We need this. This, like, let let it rain. Come on, like let it let it rain. This is how it rains in the Philippines. Good. Just, come on, we need the water. It's great. And I'm like, but the more water, uh, yes, we need the water. But the more water we get, the more the plants grow. Then they dry out, and then they burn. So and we have all those oil okay. slicks. Oh yeah, true. Because Californians don't have to drive in the rain. Water from the sky. All of a sudden, I'm just swerving. <laughs> is that? Is that LaCroix? Is that LaCroix falling from the sky? <gasps> um, this LaCroix tastes like pollution. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, for context, I mean, th- this has been some of the strangest weather I've ever seen. And I've, I, I know in the past I, we've experienced, in the last 10 plus years, we've experienced like whole months of rain. This on the other hand, was unlike anything I'd seen before, beginning with the heat wave, which wasn't the heat wave something almost like two weeks of triple-digit heat that just didn't stop. It was projected to stop, and then it kept going like another day or two. You know, like, oh, it's 100 degrees, that's the end of the heat wave. You know, the heat wave stops when it's down to 100, because 100 is still, quote-unquote, tolerable. After that, it's still 90-something with 60% humidity. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we had the heat wave, which I was inside, surprise, surprise, for most of it. And then for some of it, I wasn't even here in California, so I felt like I had escaped it, more or less. But for goodness sake, part of me wishes I had Andrew here as well, because I know since he's come on board, we've talked at tremendous length, obviously, about climate change and living in California and what that entails. And then on top of all that, and and this, you know, I think we'll definitely need to mention, we then also had the fire out here in Castaic, which was insane to deal with. And I know you've mentioned a few times that you knew, what was it, somebody you were dating had to evacuate? Yeah. Yeah, she had to evac and then came back a couple days later. 
But apparently the traffic's still, like, really bad out there during the time that, like, they were allowed to come back. Mm-hmm. No, they're still, they're still fixing parts of the, of the Interstate 5 freeway up there, too. Uh-huh. But you've had that fire. I think there's been two more fires in SoCal that have popped up. And then, and, and mind you, you know, just to read a few headlines as well, uh, you know, one, one that really kind of pissed me off, um, and, and that's the best way I can put it, because it, it made me think back to being in high school. Um, playground asphalt sizzles to 145 degrees in extreme heat waves. Parents demand school shade. Um, and this was an LA Times article from September 1st. This this is one of those things that I I'm not going to get too into it because there's other headlines I want to read off. But I do I will say I really wish schools out here were a lot more accommodating to what is to come in terms of climate disaster. But at the same time, if schools were not prepared for COVID, what makes me think they're going to be ready for heat waves that are so hot that mass quantities of people will, will potentially die? because it's so bloody hot. I mean, I'm assuming you had to do push-ups uh, in the summertime at your high school, right? At Valencia? Yes, we did. Yeah. As in, I was in ROTC, so, like, when all, like, the PE kids were just kind of sitting around on the basketball field or, or basketball court or just in the football field, like, not particularly doing anything, we were, like, still doing our PT in the heat. And I did not like it. We had the same kind of issue where, I mean, and sometimes they would actually bring us in the gym or something. But the funny thing is our gym didn't even have AC. Brand new gym. No AC. Unreal. I really, really wish that that was not happening right now. But again, I mean, we talk about it in, in our, our other recording that we're going to mention soon, hopefully, uh, hopefully in this episode, that like there really are no indoor schools here. And those that are, are in core buildings that are really offices meant for administration. So, um, and, and, you know, then the other cores are basically where all the computers are, which aren't exactly known to be cool rooms, uh, cool temperature wise, simply because you've got all those computers running and you're just like, oh, geez, it's, you know, it's, I might as well be outside. But anyway, you have that headline. Then you have from Cal Matters, Heatwave tests state's communication strategy. Um, and I'll just read very quickly a little bit from it. This was from, here we go. So, yeah, September 8th. Communication is everything. That seemed to be the key takeaway Wednesday as California officials assessed their response to the long-running extreme heatwave that pushed the state's power grid to the edge of rolling blackouts Tuesday night. Situation improved Wednesday as temperatures dipped slightly, though conditions are, were still dire enough for the California Independent System Operation to declare a stage two energy emergency that ended at 9 p.m. Today, residents will spend their ninth straight day, ninth straight day under a flex alert, asking them to conserve energy between 3 and 10 p.m. So then you have the energy pressure, which put so much stress on our energy grid where you've got so many people that are trying to use their AC as responsibly as you hope they are. And supposedly they did thanks to a text message that everybody got, um, which I got all the way out in central Massachusetts. And I take it you got that message, right? Yep. 
I don't know. I, I, I could make this a whole spiel about, you know, this is why we need to totally move to like solar power or, you know, wind power or something rather than gas. But I, I'm just thinking to myself, if we have such an overabundance of sun like we do in this state, would it kill to reserve more electrical power than when we have something like this happen? especially when we know it's coming and especially when we know that these days are only going to get worse and worse when it comes to temperatures in the late summer. So you had that pressure, which obviously has the potential to backfire whenever you have a fire. If you, if you, uh, if listeners recall something like the paradise fire um, and all the fires that have resulted in lawsuits involving PG and E after that, everything starts to get even nuttier and you have uh, reading off a headline from NPR, spotty rain breaks some of California's heat, but parts of the state are facing fire. And uh, this is from September 10th. It looks like it's actually an Associated Press story. Uh, Matt, do we get hurricanes in California normally? Is that like a, a different kind of earthquake? I, I think it's known as a water tornado. Like those fire tornadoes. Is that a different that kind of earthquake? Yeah, it's like an earthquake, but not in the ground. I think. Huh. So it's not okay. even an earth quake. It's still a quake. Oh. <laughs> oh. So then you have a hurricane that comes up Baja, California, and it was, I think, downgraded to a tropical storm by the time it actually hit SoCal. But yeah, all of a sudden we have rain. You know, having the hot weather and then having rain from a hurricane hit at the tail end of a heat wave, I, I really wonder what people think now about living here. And I know we've talked about it before, about the possibility for climate refugees leaving California. Mm -hmm. um, or, or rather, all the people that do live here because they're like, oh, it's better than Arizona and New Mexico. Is it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, 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 that's that's my question. Like it absolutely is. You can't you can't cook bacon on the sidewalk in California. Uh, I I don't know. I saw somebody do it recently during the. Okay, heat maybe wave. I was wrong. Well, I mean, it depends on how you do it. Actually, um, depends on your setup. Yeah, I mean, if 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 the sidewalk's hot enough, you could do it. Hell, do it on the hood of your car. I think I saw that too, and I thought that's some cooked bacon. I if don't it's know. I, bacon, it's fake bacon. And if it's begging strips, don't listen to that dog saying it's bacon. It's not. Rufus, or whatever that dog's name is. Spike. Uh, Mutt. Scooby. I don't know. Anyway, I really don't know what, what to really make of this heat. Like, I understand, you know, when I was back east, there was rain and there was extreme humidity. But it's also the east coast. This kind of stuff is not recognizable in California. And yet, as we've talked about at tremendous length in the past, this is a state that the weather does not care. It will come after you. It will, it will be devastating, and climate change is only going to drastically intensify that. I mean, I don't know. What, what, have you had any other observations in terms of what you've seen with the insane weather that has transpired, especially with the hurricane, that it was downgraded to a tropical storm, and then it broke. And then on top of that, it broke a bunch of rain records all across SoCal. Um, and that's partially reading off 
a uh, another LA Times headline. Um, but I mean, was there anything else that you remembered from recent days? Well, I won't I won't stretch it too far back, but like in the recent days where you've just been like, why am I living here? I need to get out of here. Hot, humid, cloudy, grr. That's what I remember. <laughs> and again, uh, well, I, again, yeah. I work in my room all day. I, I work from home, so I don't have to ever leave the house unless mm-hmm. I'm going on an errand or I'm picking up lunch or something. Right. So, living out here, encountering this weather, also dealing with the fire. I mean, what do you, what do you, and maybe this was something we had talked about years ago working at the signal. Um, but I mean, what, what goes through your mind when you see all this happen out here and you start thinking about, just your your own safety and and that feeling of like prerequisite of living at home and working from home but like does it ever hit you that you're kind of like yeah you know that that whole california exodus thing is typically about politics and it really typically is but i might need to be one of those guys that decides i'm going to get out of here because i don't want to be either roasted drowned or attacked by a squirrel with bubonic plague which exists i mean where the hell else would I go? Besides, of course, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> I mean, I might go to New York as, as a place. But then mm-hmm. again, it's like I, I've heard the rent there is insane. And it's like the only affordable place would be like living in the sewer next to Pizza Rat. And even then, that's probably like I'm lucky to find that that little spot next to the Pizza Rat. Again, I've never been to New York, but... It's probably the only other place I would go because it has the same kind of entertainment scene or a similar entertainment scene to Los Angeles. Um, I guess maybe Atlanta has a, a, a burgeoning film scene out there. But also, it's Atlanta. I don't want to live in Georgia. It's hot there and humid. And, like, it's the South. I don't want to live in the South. You're essentially re-entering the same kind of ecological well not the not identical but similar ecological nightmares as we've just dealt with in the last week plus yeah and that's that's probably i mean if i go to the north i'm freezing myself to death if i go to the south i'm i'm humiding myself to death plus also hurricanes and if you go to the southwest heat waves and i can't win even the north even the northwest you got heat waves i mean my my, I think I mentioned this before. My sister went to Seattle, and we all thought, oh, she's going to escape the ninety one hundred degree weather, and she didn't. She had the exact same weather up there as down here. So, um, so what you're telling me, the only solution is to live in a climate controlled place in in space. Just live on the International Space Station. Well, you want to be up. You 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 would want to be up there, but then you got to worry about. Oh, the Russians are leaving the International Space Station. What could that mean? So you're you're still not even escaping the the I don't know what you'd call it the uh, mundanities of planet Earth. You know, the rather the deadly mundanities of planet Earth. You're you're still not even escaping them. I I just see it as it's it's odd, but it's also devastating, literally and figuratively that. The worst expectations of climate change are upon us. And it's not like they already have been. They have been. But I I just find it to be even more emotionally frustrating knowing that places that, you know, were in a lot of ways refuges for other people, um, like California to some degree. I mean, obviously, 
California, you know, we talked about this at the museum. California has a bloody, bloody history that exists even today. But I mean, for goodness sake, like the metro, the, the Mediterranean weather that we were famous for, I argue doesn't exist. Even if you go to Malibu, I, you know, we had the episode where we talked about the, the Davis thing about letting Malibu burn. And it's like, yeah, it's gorgeous being out there, but that's an area that there's a reason why the wildfires out there are so devastating and they're only fires everywhere are only going to get more devastating, especially and not to be a broken record where we are. So, and the, the fire up in Castaic was devastating. I mean, I mean, very, very few structures were taken out by the fire. And it, it seems like the most damage to anything man-made other than some of those structures were, was to the freeway. It, it just goes to show that no matter how much you develop, even, even when you open yourself up a little bit to the natural flora and fauna of the state, you run the risk of being taken out, even in the Hollywood Hills. Like, I, I think I brought it up ages ago, that Netflix Jake Gyllenhaal movie, The Guilty, I think that's what it was called. They're grappling with a wildfire that's choking Los Angeles, but it's cutting off L.A. from the valley because it's uh -huh. in Hollywood. And so, and, and we're talking, this is like a fire the likes of which I hope we never see in our lifetimes, but it w unfortunately would never surprise me if we did. And it, arguably we have seen devastating fires in those hills already. So therefore the potential exists. It's one of those things where every time we do talk about climate change, it kind of becomes the cycle of here's the story. Here's our response. Here's the outrage. And well, it was going to happen. And that's, and then we, we move on. I don't want to say we should stop talking about the subject on this show, but when when we experience it, it it's worth talking about because when you deal with grueling heat and then you're still dealing with grueling heat while it's raining outside as a consequence of a hurricane, like what, I don't know, it, it's kind of like, what do you do? And obviously I'm not, I'm not expecting either of us to have a concrete answer to that question, but like, what, what do you do when this is the future we have to look forward to in an unstable California? When the sea comes, I guess I'm just gonna, you know, grow gills or something. That's my hope. And um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to either plug or, or mention before we sign off. Well, depending on how things go and how much work I can get done. I was intending to like launch another podcast in October. It's definitely not going to happen just with the work schedule and everything and like getting people's audio recorded and whatnot, which I do need to follow up on. Um, but I'm aiming to do like a crossover between that project and Mars on life. So it's not going to be like in the style of either of those two podcasts. It's going to be in the style of finding founders. Cause that's honestly, I think, the the best way I can do this topic. But um, yeah, hopefully it's like it's going on to the uh, going with the, the this is not a typical Halloween episode kind of a thing. Um, I will be shoehorning something into our October coverage 
probably like going to drop at the very, 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 very end of October, just because that's how scheduling looks like it's going to happen. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, keep me posted yeah. on that. I'm very excited. We haven't really had. Well, we've had we've had at least one crossover uh, each season of Mars on Life. So that would be that would be pretty, pretty cool if we can get uh, we can go three for three. No, I'm excited, buddy. I'm excited for that. More excited for that than uh, uh, how everything wraps up with uh, Santa Clarita Diet. Hey, hey, hey. Ah. The pain never ends, Ryan. Once you've seen it, you know that it exists and it's just going to live in your soul. Forever. Man, it it already was before I even saw it. And I think watching it is the exorcism. (laughs) Watching it and and Diet NIMBY is the exercising of the demons. Um, (laughs) Well, anyway, listeners, uh, this has been Mars on Life. Uh, We're going to sign off for now, but... um, if anything, please stay cool. Please stay calm. And uh, whatever. When you the do, world burns to the ground, your ashes will be collected. <laughs> With that, take it easy. <laughs> You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Urberic, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going... You'll make it to Mars. <laughs>